0: to Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, continuing as Bob mentioned earlier in our King's Revolution series part 15 of about I think 21 altogether, we'll finish on the first first week of September we will finish, we're going to finish at the end of chapter 8 where Paul reaches his big crescendo, Um, just to bring you up to speed if you can't remember or you've not been in all the recent sermons. The King's Revolution is what we've termed it, simply because Paul, when he's writing about what Jesus has done on the cross and in his resurrection to the church in Rome, is explaining basically, in other words, what happened 2,000 years ago, a revolution began. Suddenly humanity is swept up into a new life available through Jesus. And we, the church, here today, in this building, we are a part of that greater revolution that Jesus started on the cross. And Paul has been through many almost kind of uh, forensic uh, moments, almost presenting uh, evidence for the court just to help explain to us through this very intricate and very thick, thickly li- written letter about what Jesus has done for us in dying for us, in rising again, what sin is and so on and the state of humanity without Jesus and what's happened to, for those of us who have stepped into the life he offers. And what Paul has got here in chapter 6, last time I spoke, we did the first part of chapter 6, where um, Paul used the imagery of death. He said, if you're Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are now dead to sin and alive to Jesus. He used the imagery of death. And next week, David will continue the next section, the beginning of chapter 7, where Paul uses the imagery of marriage and widowhood to explain who we are in Jesus with respect to fighting the fight of sin and so on as well. And sandwiched in the middle is today's passage, the last half of chapter six, where Paul uses a third image right in the middle, this time of slavery, which is what we're going to be looking at, piecing it apart, pulling it apart a little bit more in just a moment. So let's read from verse 15. Paul in the previous verse as, as a result of saying you're dead to sin, he said, verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under law, but you're under grace. So then he asks a question. Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law? Having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Thank you, Paul, for patronizing us. I really need it. So I'm glad he breaks it down for us into normal language. He says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin... A lot to pick apart and there. We're not going to pick apart every and every verse, obviously. But we're going to look at the main thrust of what he's trying to get across to us. But just remember, just right at the beginning of that passage, he asks a question and then shouts it down very quickly, doesn't he? It's what he did at the beginning of chapter 6. At the beginning of chapter 6, last time I was speaking on it, he said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? By no means, is the phrase he uses. By no means. And then here again. Today, verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. That's one Greek word he's using there. Me. It's an emphatic no. No, no, no. In the King James Version, it's, it's uh, translated as God forbid. But it's very old fashioned. God, God forbid. I, I, how dare you say such a thing? It's, uh, if Paul is going, Should we carry on? We're free now. We can do what we want. Should we carry on sinning? Heck no. That question should not even be on your lips. It's a resounding, don't even think about it. It should be plainly obvious to us, should be, that grace, God's undeserved favor, does not release us to live as we please, but instead it releases us to live out of where we're placed. Very different. Not living as we please, but living out of where we're now placed as his people. And that understanding changes everything, which Paul then uses the imagery of slavery for. He's saying, you're no longer slaves of sin, but now you're slaves of righteousness. You're now no longer living as you please because that's driven by sin. You now should be living out of where you're placed as Christians about obedience to God. So, just to understand this a bit more, let's keep pulling it apart. We really need to realise the initial implications of what he's saying here. Verse 17, just realise what he says here. He says, but thanks be to God that you who were once Slaves of sin. said you were once slaves of sin. But in verse 18, having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. Do you see what's underneath that? So basically, whether you like it or not, all humans are slaves. That's what he's saying. It's unavoidable. You're one or the other. By nature, as humans, we are all slaves to something. Which the overall umbrella behind all that is sin. The question is not, are you a slave? The question is, who or what are you a slave of? Not if, but what? If you remember last time I spoke, I was just explaining using uh, a Christian philosopher called Kierkegaard, using his explanation of sin, I find very helpful. He says, uh, building, sin is effectively just building your self-worth and happiness on anything other than God. If you're trying to find your self-worth or trying to find your happiness in something other than God, That's sin. You're worshipping something else. That's what sin is. And the understanding of the the concept of slave here is about belonging to someone or something else or or being under the influence of someone or something else. And in light of that, if sin is finding your self-worth or happiness in something other than God and being a slave is about belonging to one or the other, we can see that all around us in humanity, can't we? All humans belong to or are under the influence of another. Someone or something. You can be belong to or under the influence of yourself. It's a big one. Particularly in our more individualistic culture, which has come out over the past 200 years in our Western world, it's all about the self. It's a big thing. It's not about the community you're part of, you're not beholden to that anymore, I'm beholden to me. It's a big thing. Self, it can be uh, the culture around, just the culture around you, the culture you're part of, or the subculture, the tribe you're part of. You can just be a slave to that. Trying to keep up with the latest fads and the latest expectations of you. Addictions. You can be a slave to addictions, obviously. You can be a slave to your career. That can dictate your choices and your behavior. You can be a slave to religion. Slave to religion? You can be a slave to comfort. It's a big one that Martin pointed out last week. Comfort can be a big voice in our ears, can't it? Or you can be a slave to God. But we need to ask ourselves, not assume we are. Am I? Do I live like that? The question is, who is your master? Who has the greater voice? What do you listen to more? What do you hunger for most? Who or what are you living for? You're a slave. The question is, whose? So then Paul, very helpfully, has explained there's two kinds of slaves. The slaves to sin and the slaves of righteousness. And verse 19, he opens them up a little bit more. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Thank you, Paul. He goes, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness and now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. He even explains their journeys and their destinations. The first one, slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. It's got a direction to it, hasn't it? lawlessness is living for yourself you become your own god effectively you decide your own laws you're not beholden to anyone else effectively that leads in one direction only more of the same that can present itself in two different ways really it can, it can be a spiraling journey where when something doesn't satisfy you hunger for more of the same but darker that can be, that can be any form of addiction any form of behaviour anything that satisfies you there comes a point you build up a tolerance to it and it's boring you want more of the same but Stronger, it's lawlessness leading to lawlessness. It's, that was a spiraling version, but there is also a meandering version, where something brand new comes along that tastes fresh, but is equally as dissatisfying in the long run. Ah, oh, this, this isn't satisfying me anymore. This is where I'm going for my self-worth and happiness. But oh, shiny! Off you go. It could be a meandering journey of sin as well. That sin could be anything. Jim Carrey, the incredibly uh, successful Hollywood comedian and actor he says this he says I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer it's very true and that man pray for that man he's searching on a spiritual journey and he keeps coming back to Jesus There's something he's being attracted in the right direction keep praying for him but he recognises yeah have a go do anything you've ever dreamed of You'll find out it's the wrong way, it's the wrong path. Slaves to impurity leading to lawlessness that leads to more lawlessness. Or, Paul then says, the other opportunity, living for Christ, living as God, uh, children of God, means slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. That word sanctification simply made, means being made holy. It's a process of being made holy, being increasingly changed from one degree to another to be like Jesus, reflecting him more and more as an image bearer. As humans, we are bearing his image. And as his people, finally, we get the chance to find out what that really looks like, to flourish as image bearers. That's what sanctification means, just an increasing journey from one degree of glory to another in holiness, being more like Jesus. But that will only come out of relationship with him. And there's the key word, relationship. It doesn't come out of hanging out in the vicinity of God's people. It doesn't come out of hanging out at churchy events. That doesn't change you. A relationship with Jesus does. And straight away. It's about relationship. This is why we now hone in on this word slave. That Paul is using in this passage. The Greek word there he's using is doulos. D-O-U-L-O-S. Means slave. In it's purest form it appears six times in this passage. And in a, in a, uh, a version of it, depending on the context, twice more. So eight times this word pops up just in this passage alone. Doulos, slave. And it actually has two meanings. Both are very similar, but both are vastly different in spirit because of the relationship involved. It can mean slave, or it can mean servant. Slave or servant. One is pressured into service, one is privileged to get to serve. It's about the relationship with a master. Both of them labour for someone, but the relationship is vastly different. The context is, dictates what he means by the word doulos here. In our, he's saying in a former way of life, it you means you are a slave to a cruel master. But in a new way of life, living for God, suddenly it means being a servant to a loving master. Slave to a cruel master, servant to a loving master. That's, it's the same word, but it means two different things in different contexts. They've translated it here as slave each time. But that's what it means, the context, it takes its actual definition. It's the direct contrast of one master who's always on the take, one master who's always giving. And as a Christian, you now have a new master. And because he has saved you from the clutches of your previous master, sin, everything that Father does for you now, is now for your flourishing and not for your judgment he's now your master and he cares for you and he's got your best interests at heart and as he parents you through the the thick and thin of life you now have his authority to step away from that old lifestyle to step away from sin's influence and not be beholden to it it's not your master anymore and so Paul is saying now is the time to live according to that truth and not according to your feelings or your desires or your old hungers you're someone else now you belong to someone else who's no longer on the take, this one's on the give. Step into that. Why aren't you? Don't live like that. Live like that. That's what he means by this word do loss, slave. So, let's take a step sideways. Now we just part that. Don't forget that. Just going to take a step sideways. Having seen what Paul's laying out here, let's just get under the bonnet of the slavery imagery itself before we draw it all back together at the end, okay? So just remember that Paul is writing to a Roman audience. He's writing to the church in Rome. So we need to, if he's talking to them about being a slave, let's understand what they get from that word. The Roman understanding of slavery, and I've listed it up here, four points. The Roman understanding of slavery is basically, it's usually men, women and children who are captured in battle. And they were sold. They're captured in battle and sold to people who wanted to now own them. So they were overpowered They were conquered, they're overpowered and pressed into service. But if a slave had children, those children automatically are now slaves. There's an automatic ownership through the generations. There's a legacy going on. So, The first one's a slave, enslaved. Any children they have are automatically slaves. They're overpowered. Automatic ownership from then on for all throughout the generations. They could be treated as well or as badly as their master saw fit. They had no rights. They had no unions. Militant action wasn't happening. Overpowered, automatic ownership with no rights. And basically, there was no escape. The only means of freedom was if their master should on a whim decide to. That doesn't happen. Or if they had the means to repay their master the original sum they were bought for a slave was never going to earn that much, it was physically impossible basically there was no escape without full rescue or full payment overpowered, automatic ownership throughout the generations, no rights and no escape here lies the immediate wonder of the gospel Because as human beings, by not sheltering in God's initial goodness, but rejecting it, the power of sin has all too easily conquered us right from the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, straight away. All too easily conquered. And whether we appreciate it or not, sin has complete dominion over us. It affects our choices, it affects our dreams, it affects our reactions it affects our ambitions, it affects our hiding places, it affects our private thoughts, it affects our public masks. Sin pervades, it's insidious, it's an infection right across through and through. It may be to varying degrees between us and in different ways, but all us humans are at the mercy of another, sin, by default. Because since then, all generations, by default, have been enslaved to its power merely by our fallen human nature, merely by it's been passed on in that broken spiritual DNA from one generation to another, from one season of human life to the next. And if you don't believe me, just go and read a few history books. <laughs> it's been there just throughout the ages. It's just there, isn't it? It's exactly the same. Humanity, overpowered by sin automatic ownership throughout the generations. And that gives us no rights. We are on our own as humans. We are on our own. We are helpless. And we are at the mercy of sin's hold over us and the only means of escape therefore is by utter rescue from outside and that is exactly what's available Jesus the only person powerful enough to defeat the powers of sin and death, God himself he's broken into our prison and he's ripped the cell door right off its hinges that's what he did when he died and when he rose again boom, prison break that's what he did and he did that by paying the full redemption price he paid with his own life and he paid with a brief broken fracture in his untainted peace with his father in that moment and he did that so we can be utterly utterly free from sin's insidious grip both now and eternally forever as humans without Christ as humans we don't rule sin we can try to you don't rule sin sin rules you However, once you're rescued by a new, kind, generous, loving master, Jesus, we get a new means of stepping into a new life to live for him. No longer slaves to sin, but now slaves, servants of righteousness. And So you see, even Roman slavery provides just a stunning illustration of what it means to be a human lost without God but also what it means to wake up to the rescue that Jesus provides. And here's the key, we need to wake up to it. Either if you've never stepped into this before, or even as a Christian sometimes, we need to be waking up to the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. The problem for so many people is waking up to this truth and receiving it fully, either for the first time or living it out from then on. We forget who we are. We can be oblivious to it. You can... You can stay in the corner since it's all you're used to, it's where you're comfortable for, it's in the dark, it's in that cave with the muddy water, it's just all you've ever known maybe. You stay there, not realising what's available. Or, despite not knowing fully what's on the other side and despite not having all your questions answered, you can still step into the life that Jesus offers. Rescue. Rescued into a new life, living for him, not for ourselves, not for the powers of darkness. It's available, but we've got to pick it up and run with it, either for the first time or, Christians, since then as well. I find a very helpful illustration of the Gospel about how Jesus has done it, but we've got to step into it as well. There's a a brilliant book by Donald Miller called Blue Like Jazz. I I love it. It's just his his journey of how he came to faith. Blue Like Jazz by Donald Miller. And in there he tells a story that he heard kind of secondhand from um, about... uh, a Navy SEAL's um, mission somewhere around the world. It's the, the destination or the, the, the location of their uh, mission was, is classified still. They won't still reveal where it was. But Navy SEALs are effectively the American SAS, if that helps. And, they tell, and this Navy SEAL was passing it on, tells this story. Basically, they, were, they did this covert operation and they were freeing hostages from some dark place on the planet. And the team flew in by helicopter. And they flew in... They made their way to the he- compound and they took over. They stormed the room where the hostages had been held for months. And they said, He says this room was filthy and it was dark. And they could see, when they entered the room, they could see these hostages were curled up, cowering in the corner. They were terrified. And they heard, when they turned up and they opened the door, they opened the cell door, and these hostages in the corner, they could hear their gasps. They knew someone had arrived. And so they stood at the door and they called to these prisoners. They said, come on. They said, we're Americans. We're here to rescue you. Come with us. Follow us. But the hostages wouldn't. They stayed there. They sat on the floor. They hid their eyes in fear. They just stayed looking at the floor. They weren't of healthy mind. They'd been there for so long. And they didn't believe this was rescue. They thought this was a ploy from the prison guards. They didn't believe them. So the steel, seals, the Navy SEALs stood there at the door and didn't know what to do. There were too many hostages. They couldn't physically carry them out one by one. They needed to get out of there. And they didn't know, we, we can't carry them. What are we going to do? They're not following us. So one of the SEALs, he had an idea. And he put down his weapon and he took off his helmet and he walked up to them and he sat down in amongst them and he curled up tightly against them so some, some of them could even touch him and he just stayed there and he put his arms around them and he just waited, just waited for a little while and he just softened his face and he just looked at them. Over time, one by one, the hostages started to look up to him and made eye contact with his navy seal with his mask off. None of the prison guards would have done that. Just wanted to show them, I'm one of you, I'm with you. I'm for you. And he stayed there for a little while. And as they made eye contact, he just whispered, we're Americans. We're here to rescue you. Will you follow us? And he stood and he waited. And one by one, the hostages stood up and followed him out of the room. And the story ends with them safe on an aircraft carrier being taken home. Jesus <coughs> has ripped the cell door from its hinges. <coughs> Jesus has set us free. However, excuse me, <coughs> we can still remain in the darkness. We can still be enslaved to the powers of darkness just by ignorance or willful choice. We can stay there, cowering. But Jesus, thankfully, he still steps in close. And he softens his face. And he comes alongside us, so close you can sense him, even now. And he asks, Will you follow me? I'm here to rescue you. The cell door's not on its hinges anymore. Come with me. His hand is outstretched. First question, have you taken it? Second question, if not, will you? Will you? If you're a Christian, if... In Jesus, you found that thrilling rescue, freed to live for him. Then, as Paul says at the beginning of this passage, why would we wish to go back to the old ways? Why would we wish to go back to the old habits? Why would we wish to go back to the old behaviors? Just to put it another way, you see this doulos being used, meaning different things in different contexts. The same happens back in the Old Testament as well. We see in the book of Exodus, we see the story of the Israelites, God's people. They are under Egyptian oppression. They are slaves in Egypt. God rescues them through an amazing story, the plagues and Moses and Aaron. They're rescued and they end up rich. They get all the the plunder from Egypt. They're rich and they are free to worship God unhindered. They're no longer slaves. They're now servants to serve, free to serve and to worship God. And they spend a generation in the desert, before they're given the promised land in its entirety. And yet while they're there, they still moan. What do they moan? We were better off back in Egypt. Now we can look at them and shake our heads and go, oh, what are they like? But actually we need to take a long, hard look at ourselves as well. It's exactly the same. What's, before we come to that, what's fascinating there is when they are slaves of Egypt and when they are freed to serve the Lord, the language that Moses uses when he wrote Exodus Exodus chapter 7, the word he uses to serve the Lord in worship, free to serve him, is the same word he uses in Exodus chapter 2 to describe them them as slaves in Egypt. It's exactly the same as Paul does with Dulos here. Moses did in in Exodus. Servants of God, slaves of Egypt, it's the same word. The difference is the context and the relationship between which master they now belong to. And so when they're in the desert and they're moaning... They once were slaves. They are now servants, but their mindset was still stuck in the past. Their identity has changed, but they're living with the old mindset. And the same for us. As Christians, we are rescued from sin's oppression. We're no longer slaves, we're now servants. We are rich and we are free to worship him unhindered. And we get a lifetime, like they did in the desert, we get a lifetime on this planet before we get to receive the full promise of the promised land for eternity. It's the same. And yet we can still moan, I'm better off doing what I like. It's much easier living for myself. I wish I could just get away and just feed my desires. We can still be like that. I was better off back in Egypt. Sometimes we need to take a long, hard look at ourselves, shake our heads at us, not just at the Egyptians. Because as a Christian, you once were slaves; you're now servants. But you can still live with the old mindset. You can still be stuck in the past. If you are following Jesus, if you're giving your life to Him, even if you don't feel like it, even if you keep tripping up, even if you keep giving in to temptation, believe this: you are set free. You are set free. You might not feel like it and might not look like it but the Bible declares that you are set free. It's time to live in the light of that. Paul got it for himself. Not just for the Romans. He got it for himself. Romans chapter 1 and verse 1 How does he describe himself? Right at the beginning of this letter. Paul a what's it say? Anyone there? A servant of Christ Jesus. What word is he using there that's translated as servant? Doulos. I'm a slave, but I belong to someone else, and the relationship is different now. I'm a do-loss, but it's different now. When I left the ambulance service nearly four years ago, they would have no authority to force me to go back and do a night shift. No matter how, much, how many donuts they might have offered me, come on, do a night shift, we'll give you a big pack of donuts. You can have a great laugh with your old mates, have some giggles behind the scenes, and do all get up to those things you're not allowed to tell the public because they'll be horrified what the ambulance service do behind the scenes. But come and have some fun. Enjoy a bit more black humour with the lads. But it's still a night shift for an ex-master. And I'd have every right to go, I'm well, not yours anymore. I belong somewhere else now. And so in the same way, when I'm tempted to sin, no matter how much fun it might seem up front, no matter how much, no matter how teasing it may appear to join in with gossip or to go and do something, whatever it might be, I am no longer a slave. I belong to someone else now who genuinely cares about me. That changes everything how we approach temptation, how we understand the power of sin. And so I have every right and ability. last lot, like I could say to the ambulance service, no, it might look teasing, but I'm better off over here. Thank you very much. Working for the Amulet service isn't sin, by the way. Don't, don't get me wrong, don't mishear that for the recording. The Amulet service is wonderful, I've just done my time. But I'd have every right to say no to them. And in the same way, you have every right, if you belong to Christ, you have every right to go sin, I don't belong to you anymore. It's just a tease. I won't be satisfied, I want more at the other end of it. I'm going to go where I get rich and fed in life by my amazing Father. If you've taken Jesus' offered rescue, then you are a servant to Christ. You are now freed. You're no longer under the grip of sin unless you choose to allow it. You can still go back there. But you are officially freed. You are eternally his. You fully belong to Jesus forever. You have heavenly rights now. You have his rights as a child of God. And you are secure. No one can pluck you from his hands. That's what it says in the book of John. You're his forever. So let's live for him. Let's not live for ourselves. Let's not live for another. Let's just revel in the rescue he's given us. Let's celebrate our freedom in the best way, his way. I'm just going to pray. Let me just pray. It's just a good place to finish, I think. Let's just leave it there. If there's anybody here who wants more prayer about this, come and see me afterwards. Give me a bell during the week if you don't want to be seen talking to me. You know, I know what it's like to, you, people are always having a chat with him. Just come and grab me during the week. Text me, phone me. Let's meet up. But let's pray through some stuff together. If either deal with it now, but if you need help to work it through, come and find me. Come and find your growth group leader. Come and find one, you know, John or David. We'd love to pray through this with you. We're just going to pray for us all before we finish. Lord, we recognize the rescue, not only the rescue you offer, the rescue you have done for us. You just ask us to step into it, Lord. I pray that if there's anyone here who's never done that for the first time, that even though not all questions will be answered immediately, or maybe even in this life anyway, that they trust that you are a good God who has ripped that cell door off its hinges and you invite them in to live a life in light and no longer in darkness. Help those people to make that step open the eyes of their heart by Holy Spirit let their hearts thump even right now they just know you're speaking to them can they sense you sitting down next to them with a mask off making eye contact saying I'm here for you will you come with me and for those of us who have done that those of us who have taken your offered hand and we followed you but quite often we try and let go or try and do our own thing we try and Get sidetracked by shinies in life. The things that tease, Lord, help us to resist. Help us to not resist out of willpower but to to resist out of resting in who we are in you. Recognize that we have your authority to go, no, by no means, no more. I'm living for someone else now, I belong to someone else now. Help us. Holy Spirit, we invite you in. Even just right now, if you need need this help, just put your hands out to him. It's just a physical act, just an invitation to say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, will you just come and just fill us anew? Will you just fill us afresh? Holy Spirit, I think he's just doing something in people right now, actually. Holy Spirit, will you just breathe in us that fresh air of grace that we need just to stand firm and just to say no. I'm running after someone else now. Holy Spirit, will you gird us for the fight ahead? Strengthen our weary limbs. Bring peace and clarity to our distracted minds. Help us to live boldly out loud for Jesus. That others might see the difference and might come to know you as a result. Let this be not just about us but about your revolution on this planet. That you're unfolding day by day and year by year. Help us to continue to step into it by your strength, by your grace as we trust you for one step after the other. Jesus, we thank you for all you've done we thank you for all you're doing. We thank you for all that you have promised you will do. And in your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.